0: The story you were about to hear is true. Attention, all true. She's alive. If you're a regular reader of my blog, it might surprise you to hear that when I was very young, I was quite outdoorsy. I'm talking single digits. That's how young I was. But when I got older, say around 10, I got hit with really bad allergies. Horrible hay fever that plagued me pretty much for the rest of my life. This meant instead of spending all my summer days riding bikes and playing out in fields, I needed to figure out something new. I started reading a lot more. Comic books became very popular. I also discovered video games. That meant getting from home to the local store where I could play them but that was a sacrifice I was willing to make. But as soon as I heard about the Atari or other home video game systems that were coming out that's what I wanted. Now, I begged for that Atari for probably a whole year before Christmas rolled around, and under my tree was an Atari 2600, and I was, I was so happy. I was probably the happiest boy in all of New Jersey. Well, me and every other kid in New Jersey who got an Atari that year were the happiest boys in New Jersey. Like everyone else, I was obsessed with my Atari. Even when it started to wane and other people turned to things like ColecoVision, I would try to figure out ways to get more games for my friends. If they had a game that they were sick of, I would try to trade them for it, or I would offer to buy it from them for whatever money I could raise. Then a new device showed up in our neighborhood, the Nintendo Entertainment System. I actually wasn't very interested in the NES when it came out. I was so committed to the Atari lifestyle, I guess. I don't know what it was about it, I would go over to my friend's house and see it and thought it was a great system, but it just, it just hadn't won me over. Then one Christmas, my mother's friend Jean and her son Sean uh, were going over to New York and we decided to tag along and we went over to FAO Schwartz. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been to FAO Schwartz. It's like the toy store that was in BIG. Just wall-to-wall toys set up in really fun ways, and really great places to play. For a kid, it's heaven. Now, Sean and I went in there, and they had a great Nintendo display featuring Duck Hunt. We moved our way to the front, picked up those light guns, and started blasting away at ducks. Our mothers eventually had to drag us out. We were so committed to playing. I remember kids smaller than us crying to get a turn and we were just so in the zone that we couldn't stop playing. We were kind of jerks. If you were one of those kids behind us, I apologize from the bottom of my heart. After the FAO Schwartz experience, I really wanted a Nintendo. After that, I started noticing all the catalogs and all the commercials. I couldn't stop noticing them. I really wanted a Nintendo Entertainment System. I still played the Atari. I was committed. I played Atari like you wouldn't believe. But I started dropping the not-so-subtle hints to my mother. Please get me a Nintendo. Please get me a Nintendo. Please get me a Nintendo. And my mother, being who she was, pretended that she didn't pay attention to me. She would. Act a loop, and oh, I don't know, maybe you'll see what you can get this year. Christmas rolls around, under the tree, was a Nintendo Entertainment System. It wasn't the deluxe system, but it was a Nintendo Entertainment System. I mentioned it wasn't the deluxe system because it didn't come with your robotic operating buddy, Rob. Now, I wanted Rob, just like every kid in America wanted his own robot in the 1980s. I hope kids today really want robots, because if they don't, that's sad, because robots are just awesome. Rob, though, was not awesome, and I know this because my friend Frank got Rob when he got his deluxe Nintendo system. I went over there expecting his room cleaned up and peanut butter sandwiches being served to us by this video game-powered automaton. What I found was a robot that kind of spun in circles and broke very easily, and that's what brings us to the subject of today's show. Nintendo is a great company. They do some amazing things. I love my Wii. I still love my nes and my super nes but every once in a while they make a misstep and because they're so creative usually those missteps are just as memorable as their successes on today's show we talk about three of nintendo's biggest missteps rob the power glove and of course the virtual boy Yes, a million times yes. I will experience the Nintendo Entertainment System, and I still kind of want the Deluxe Set, even though I know what a horrible thing Rob is. Rob was released in July of 1985 in Japan, and... Later that year, he made his appearance in North America. Now, he was a clever marketing ploy, because in 1983 there was a big video game crash, and nobody was interested in video games. So the people at Nintendo thought, well, let's include this really futuristic-looking toy as part of the console system, and maybe fool people, sort of like a Trojan horse. And it worked out real well. People saw these commercials with the robot and jumped on the system. In Japan, Rob was known as the Famicom Robot, named after the, the Famicom system, which is what the NES was known as in Japan, and had actually some really cool coloring. It was white with maroon arms as opposed to the dull gray that we got for the Rob here in America. Now the idea behind Rob is that you add an extra level of complexity to the game by having the player control Rob as well as control the game itself through the controller. So Rob would move the pieces that he had on his base, these little colored discs. Rob would move these discs over to a platform and when he pushed the platform down on the red side it would push button 1. If it moved it on the other side, it would push button 2. So, in effect, Rob was being a bridge to Controller 2. What everyone kind of figured out after a while was that you don't really need Rob, you could just use Controller 2 and get the job done the same way. In the game that came with Rob, Gyromite, you controlled Professor Hector, as he moved through his lab trying to pick up all this dynamite so it wouldn't explode and blow things up. You controlled Professor Hector through your controller, but you also had to give commands to Rob. You would hit the start key, you'd bring up the Rob commands, and he would move colored disks from pedestal to pedestal which opened up specific gates so that uh, Professor Hector could get through. In theory, it wasn't a bad little game but in practice it got really tedious as you constantly had to switch back and forth and you had to get one of the disks to spin, so you had to put it on the gyro pedestal, move it back and forth, and then make sure your timing was right. It was really a pain. Now the other game that was made for Rob was called Stack Up. Stack Up did not come with Rob. It again involved Professor Hector, but this time he was moving blocks from one side of a grid to another, moving them around. Stack Up was sold separately, as I mentioned, and because Rob was not very popular, Stack Up is actually quite rare nowadays. Five, four, three, two, one. Here are the top five best-selling NES games of all time. Number five, Zelda II, The Adventures of Link. Number four, The Legend of Zelda. Number three, Super Mario Bros. 2. Number two, Super Mario Bros. 3. And number one, Super Mario Bros. This has been the Retroist Top Five. Have a good week. When I was young, I really didn't understand how Rob worked. I knew that I had to keep him pointed at the TV, so I maybe thought that he was actually watching what I was doing, and he was. He was receiving commands via optical flashes from the television screen. My young brain could not process that, so I thought Rob was actually watching me play and assisting me. Yes, I was that naive. Now, although Rob was a failure in many ways, not very useful as a game piece and didn't last very long, he has made cameo appearances in several games and has quite a cult following. You might have seen him in Kirby's Dream Land 3, the WarioWare series, the Star Fox series, and the F-Zero series. Rob has recently sprung up, I guess as his popularity has grown, as a playable character in Mario Kart DS and my favorite, Super Smash Bros. Brawl, where he is a superstar. So although Rob might have failed me in my youth, he has come back to me as an adult as my favorite character in probably the best Nintendo Wii game available. We would like to play. Introducing the ultimate Wii Throwdown. Gather your friends. Invite the whole family. As the biggest characters in gaming history come together for the brawl to end them all. Super Smash Brothers Brawl. Ready, team for team. When you first play Super Smash Bros. Brawl, you see Rob and you think, is Rob actually appearing in this game or is this some sort of joke or easter egg by the designers? But no, he actually turns out to be I think, one of the better characters in the game, and what's cool is they give him some backstory, so now we have a bit of a Rob mythology. Rob might be a bad guy, but he's only doing it because so many of his fellow Robs have been killed. Because of this, he decides to destroy the Super Smash Brother world. Eventually, Rob comes to his senses and teams up with the rest of the gang to stop Ganondorf and Taboo from destroying the world of trophies. He becomes a playable character, and a very powerful playable character, as a bonus. He's also got the cool Famicom colors, red arms, white body. Looks awesome. If you have not yet unlocked Rob in your game, there are three ways to do it. You can get Rob to join your party in the subspace emissary. You can play 160 brawls, then defeat Rob. Or you can get 250 different trophies and then defeat Rob. If you have not unlocked him yet, what are you doing? Why are you listening to this? Go get on your Wii. Next on the Nintendo Mist list is the Power Glove. The Power Glove was released by Mattel in 1989. Yes, it was not released by Nintendo, so perhaps we can give Nintendo a little slack on the release of this one. But still, they had to give permission, and I think ultimately they are responsible for bearing most of the burden for this mess-up. The Power Glove was sort of an early Nintendo Wii controller, at least in theory. When the glove was working properly, you could orient yourself in the X, Y, and Z axis. So, if you pointed up or forward, it would pick up on that. Mind you, this was 1989 technology, so it didn't work as well as the Wii controller works today. In fact, most of the time, it worked horribly. You had to keep your hand up at a certain level to make things go, which got exhausting. You would squeeze your fingers to get things to go. Didn't work all the time. It was a huge disappointment. More so because it looked like the coolest thing in the world. When this thing was released, everyone was talking about it. But you couldn't blame them. I mean, look at the thing. It looks all futuristic. It's got the cool ski gloves got the buttons on the top and on the side and hooking yourself up to a video game system. Heck, I know how horrible this glove is and I still dream about it. It didn't hurt that it was in a pretty big movie at the time, a Fred Savage vehicle. It was also just all over the place. Everybody was talking about it in the schoolyards. It was on TV. The commercials ran ad nauseum. (sighs) For your NES, now you and the games are one. <laughs> the Power Glove. Everything else is child's play. Although the Power Glove was difficult to control, it was the first peripheral. That could recreate human hand movements on a television. Now the controller was derided by gamers, but that doesn't mean it wasn't commercially successful. It sold 100,000 units before everyone realized the wool was being pulled over their eyes. Now two games were released for the Power Glove, Super Glove Ball and Bad Street Brawler. Both of these games were branded as part of the Power Glove gaming series. The Glove series actually never was released in Japan, and even though they sold the Power Glove over there, it was separate, just as an alternative controller, which meant nobody bought it. Super Glove Ball was a ball game, which sounds simple enough, and Bad Street Brawler was a beat-em-up fighting style game. Not as good as you would think it would be. When I think of the Power Glove, my first thought was, well, this should work for Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, I should be swinging around, I should be able to throw punches and knock Mike out. Sadly, that never happened. They never released a proper fighting game for the Power Glove. Probably because it was a limitation of the technology, not because of the lack of inspiration. Although you could use the Power Glove for any game, you just had to reprogram the glove for that specific game to use it. So you want to play Mario with your glove? Just hit A, B, A, A, B, B, A, A, up, up, down, right, left, up, start, up, left, down, right, up, A, B, and start again, and you're good to go. There were three other Glove games that were in development. Glove Pilot, which I imagine was some sort of Glove flight simulator. Manipulator Glove Adventure, which I just love because it sounds like the most generic game name they could come up with. Acme Glove Adventure. The third was Tech Town, which I actually have some details on. It was supposed to take place in an abandoned space station, and you'd be solving virtual puzzles by opening doors and picking up and using tools, would have kind of been a really innovative game for its time. Sadly, none of those games occurred, because after the first year, the Power Glove was dead. Even though they stopped making the Power Glove, you could still find it in stores for years after they discontinued it. And, as a bonus, it kept showing up in popular culture. For instance, the Dark Lord of Nightmares himself, Freddy Krueger, references the Power Glove in the movie, Freddy's Dead. Get out of here now, now. Hey, you forgot the power glove. No. I think it's a special distinction for the power glove to be in that movie because it's an integral part of what I consider to be one of the most ludicrous death scenes in all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. You really couldn't ask for better product placement. What do you know? I beat my eyes score. <laughs> <laughs> the third and final misstep in today's show is the Virtual Boy. The Virtual Boy was designed by Gunpei Yokai. I hope I say that name right. I am apologize if I did not. Who was the inventor of the Game Boy handheld As well as the metroid franchise now this guy's got some brains now he'd been working on this console for a while wanting to make the virtual boy this innovative product from nintendo now the virtual boy or at least the product that became the virtual boy wasn't actually what he had intended it to be he had a a grander vision for a device that people could use a 3d device that people could use but that was maybe years off and nintendo really wanted to get a product to market they were sick of spending the money Plus they wanted to focus on the new N64 that was coming out. So they rushed the Virtual Boy to market, and some difficult decisions were made that really doomed the Virtual Boy from the start. One of the most damaging decisions they made was to go with a monochrome system. The reason they did that was the cost. If they were to try to make a multicolored LCD system, the price point on the Virtual Boy would have been much higher, maybe five, $600. So instead they decided to go with one color. Now obviously I'm not a big fan of the choice of red. But the reason they went with red was because it was the cheapest LED at the time. It supposedly drained the least amount of batteries and was supposedly the most striking color to view. It was striking, very striking, but it also was really painful to look at after a while. Of course, that pain was nothing compared to the Virtual Boy sickness that affected many people who couldn't stand having the 3D environment pushed up against their head. It was so bad that Nintendo put an auto-pause system every 30 minutes on the game. To encourage people to stop playing so they wouldn't get sick. Enter the unique world of virtual gameplay with Nintendo Virtual Boy. The first three dimensional stereo immersive 32 bit video game system ever. Virtual Boy is so advanced it can't be viewed on conventional TV or LCD screens. Virtual Boy comes with the Mario's Tennis Game Pack featuring a three-dimensional court with depth that only Virtual Boy can deliver. Play singles or doubles in either one- or two-player mode. Nintendo Virtual Boy, a 3D game for a 3D world. I remember spotting this game in KB Toy and Hobby in the Willowbrook Mall and there was nobody else around it, no kids in the store, so I ran over, put it on my head. I was not too concerned about sanitation back then and uh, started playing. In 10 minutes, I couldn't even stand still. Um, when I took the when I took the headpiece off, I was spinning. My mother was like, "What are you playing there? You, you know, do you like that new Game Boy?" I was like, "No, do not buy this for me." To this day, I've never been really good with those virtual reality style games. And the Virtual Boy was the first window into that problem. Thank you, Nintendo, for killing my dreams of becoming an astronaut. Despite its problems, the Virtual Boy was innovative. It had a really interesting control system that had two D-pads that allowed you to move all across the X, Y, and Z axis, so you could actually have 3D-style control in theory. Sadly, so few games were made for the Virtual Boy that they really didn't get to take advantage of the dual control system. One of the games that really did take advantage of it was a game called Red Alarm, that let you use one side for pitch and direction of your ship, while the other one controlled the up and down and side-to-side movement. Most of the time, you just chose left or right based on your handedness, so left-handed would use the left side. So that was a useful feature for controllers, but... Nobody ever brought the full power of the controller to bear. One thing that was promised for the Virtual Boy that never made the light of day was multiplayer. It actually never made the light of day back when the game system came out. Since then, it has, which I'll talk about in a second. The two games that were supposed to come out for multiplayer were Waterworld and Faceball. Waterworld, well, that sounds like a Kevin Costner film. But Faceball, now that sounds funny. I could just picture you playing Mario and just throwing a ball at your enemy's face and... I think it would be a lot like uh, Mario Dodgeball, but with a lot more vomiting. Now, if you look at your Virtual Boy, if you ever get your hands on one, on the underside, there's an actual another port. It's below the controller port, and it was never officially supported by Nintendo at the time. There was supposed to be an official link cable released so that you could play multiplayer games with your friends. A website called Planet Virtual Boy, which you can visit at www.vr32.de. They homebrewed a game called 3D Battlesnake and they also give you instructions for taking composite Nintendo cables and turning them into multiplayer cables for your Virtual Boys so you can get sick with your friends. Only 22 games were ever released for the Virtual Boy. 14 of them were released in America and 19 were released in Japan. This number is so low because the console was only on the market for one year. After one year, Nintendo stopped selling the Virtual Boy. They sold a grand total of 770,000 units They say there were three contributing factors that led to it being such a flop. First, there was the monochromatic display. That threw everybody off. Secondly, it was very uncomfortable for many people to play. You either had to stand there with this thing locked on your face, or you had to use the tripod, or whatever that pod was. Thirdly, it had a high price point. It was $180. The original Game Boy was just a little over $100. I think there was a fourth reason why the Virtual Boy flopped. I think it was a victim of high expectations. I remember reading about the Virtual Boy in magazines and seeing ads for it, and it seemed like it was going to be an immersive 3D environment, and it certainly seemed like it would be in full color. So when I saw it in the store the first time, besides getting sick, I was also majorly disappointed because it didn't meet my expectations. I think this is one of those instances where advertising damaged the product by just setting expectations way too high. One of the best things to come out of the Virtual Boy, I guess, debacle, was the emergence of a brand-new character into the Mario universe. Wario! He's the epitome of evil. And he's on the prowl in the third dimension. It's Wario. The diabolical one has gone 3D, where evil runs deep and danger comes out of nowhere in the most incredible adventure ever seen on Virtual Boy. It's Wario Land, a 3D game for a 3D world. Wait till they get a load of me. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Retroist podcast. For more retro fun, drop by Retroist.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com Retroist. The Retroist podcast is now available via iTunes, so make sure you stop on by there and subscribe. I hope you have a great weekend, and I'll see you at the arcade. I love the power glove. It's so bad. This has been a reckless production. Goodbye.